miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And I would say that within business, at some stage, you've got to break for cover. You've got to say to yourself, we're going to do this. And actually, often, that that decision alone, that call to arms to yourself to make something happen is the greatest motivation. Hello, and welcome to UmiCast, a podcast about business and entrepreneurship. At UMI, we make it easier for businesses to do more and go further by finding and packaging the best information, expertise and finance so you can make better business decisions more quickly. This episode of the podcast was recorded for the Innovation Super Network as part of VentureFest Northeast. Now, VentureFest is a leading innovation conference designed to help Northeast entrepreneurs, startups and SMEs grow their business through connections, inspiring speakers and practical workshops. Taking place on Wednesday the 30th and Thursday the 31st of March, the conference will include a day of keynotes, exhibitions and networking in person at the Boiler Shop in Newcastle, while day two will all be fully online with a programme of online workshops and challenges to get involved with. So in the lead up to VentureFest, I was joined by Graham Miller, who is the Head of Innovation at Innovation Super Network, for a conversation with Gordon Dodd, the Chief Strategy Officer of Augmented Reality Marketing Specialist Air Cards, and also Andrew Jenkins, who is the CEO of Renewable Energy Optimization Specialist Kinneywell Energy. These are two incredibly innovative Northeast companies and two that have made it into the 2022 Innovation Showcase, which is all about enabling the region's most exciting innovators to showcase their products and services to investors and sector leaders at VentureFest. So in this conversation, we talk about what it means to run an innovative company in the current environment, highlighting challenges around access to talent and also opportunities around the productization of services to create new, more sustainable revenue streams. We also discuss the innovation landscape in the Northeast and explore what makes the region such a great place for new ideas, research, invention and commercialization. So if you want to find out more about VentureFest Northeast or the support, uh, finance and advice available through the Innovation Super Network, you can head over to uh, supernetwork.org.uk. You can also sign up for a free no-obligation trial of the UMI SatNav by visiting weareumi.co.uk forward slash web app forward slash sign up for tons more information, advice and resources. But for now, I hope you enjoy this episode with myself, Graham Miller, Gordon Dodd, and Andrew Jenkins. Well, welcome everybody to the studio. Uh, this is the first roundtable style podcast that we've recorded here at UMI. So uh, really looking forward to hearing from each of you. Um, and of course, we're here to talk about all things innovation as part of VentureFest Northeast which is a leading conference created by the Innovation Super Network to help entrepreneurs, startups and SMEs grow their businesses. So um, just to kick us off, Graeme, you're the head of innovation at Innovation Super Network. So can you just tell me a little bit more about why you and the team decided to launch this conference? Yeah, sure. Um, so this is something we started doing um, many years ago, five, six, maybe seven years ago now. Um, Originally, the concept was uh, to to celebrate innovation in the region more than anything else. We stick with that and we follow that principle. So 
Um, we try and get together the key innovators in the region. We try to inspire those that maybe aren't innovating at this moment in time to innovate. And we very much want to showcase that innovation that the SMEs um, that have done throughout that 12-month period, hence okay. the innovation showcase, which you'll hear about from these guys. Okay. So it's never really lost that kind of core purpose that it was set up for to kind of celebrate the innovative businesses in the region. Um, in terms of some of the, the kind of key themes for this year's conference, I know we've got the um, key messages, uh, it's time. So it's it's time for bright ideas, it's time to innovate, it's time to challenge and disrupt. So can you talk a little bit a little bit more about that and in terms of specific things that you're looking to tease out of this year's campaign? Yeah, I think when, when we use the phrase, it's time, um, I don't want anybody to think that that, that um, people haven't been innovating over the past two years as a result of COVID. There's probably been a lot more pivoting. There's probably been a lot more people um, having to come up with new ideas, new ways of doing things. Um, we've all adapted and we've all been very flexible um, within that. So you know, firstly, let's celebrate that. But secondly, when we say it's time, it's we've been in the situation where we have been constrained and we've been stuck in our house or in a small office with, with one or two people. Um, we're saying, let's get back out, let's collaborate, let's talk to each other, let's tell each other what we've been doing, let's learn from each other, let's have those peer conversations um, and get the collaboration going again. Mm. We've had a great opportunity to understand there are a lot more problems in the world that we can solve, and that's what innovation's about. It's about solving those problems. Perfect. And obviously this year's event is going to be a hybrid event with a big kind of in-person element. And was that not possible last year or, or, or the year before? And is this um, a sign that things are getting back to normal in the northeast a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so last year, probably like everybody else, we were toying, do we go hybrid? Do we um, get back into um, St. James's Park, which we, we, where we've held them in the past. Do we do it in person or is that too much of a risk? And, you know, we kind of, as everybody did, left things as last minute as possible. Um, but really it was never going to work in person. There, there wasn't the, the safety there to, to enable us to do that. Um, we're over the moon this year to be back in person. I think I think virtually everybody in the room would, would agree with that. We're, we're dying to get back together to, to, to work with each other in, in that sense. Um, hybrid worked, um, you know, the, the virtual world, it did work to a certain degree, but you don't have those conversations in the queue for the coffee. You're not getting in the queue for lunch. You're not having Andrew walking over and introducing me to Gordon. It, it just doesn't happen in that sense. So that's why we're so keen to get back to that. Um, yeah. but we're doing hybrid. So in person and virtual on the 30th and on the 31st, it's, it's purely uh, a virtual event on the 31st. Yeah, awesome. Now, thanks for that, Graham. And, and you've mentioned uh, Andrew and, and Gordon, who are our two other uh, panellists here. So, Gordon, if I can just come to you first, you're the uh, Chief Strategy Officer of Aircard. So, uh, and obviously included as, as as Andrew and Kynwell Energy are in this year's Innovation Showcase. So, yeah, Gordon, can you just tell me a little bit more about you guys at Aircards, what you do and, and what you're all about? Absolutely. Uh, as Chief Strategy Officer, I should know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, Aircards, to some degree, it doesn't do what it says on the tin. I mean, we might yet unpeel that. Uh, we actually deliver augmented reality services for our clients, and our clients are 
global. And we deliver that across broadly three dimensions, if you like. We deliver uh, augmented reality projects for our clients. Uh, that's actually doing di direct delivery of augmented solutions for them to have increased engagement, reduced friction with their audience, whoever their audience might be. The second, which is something which we're really interested in and is coming up on the inside straight in terms of our workflow, is developing technology specifically to be integrated into uh, some of our enterprise clients, some of our technology enterprise clients, who want to use that technology, again within the augmented market space, but as part of their deployment. And then the third, which is coming up on the inside straight again, and it's probably the most exciting thing for us, and indeed is part of the conversation I've been having with Graham across the last six months, seven months yeah. maybe, is the, the development of internal products which can be sold regardless of whether we're working with an enterprise client or otherwise. And that moves us away from, um, and we're delighted to be uh, an outstanding delivery of uh, projects for clients, but it moves us more into a SaaS-based mm -hmm recurring model, uh, hopefully where the products can start to take on a life of their own. And as we've already been able to put in place with one of our clients, where our clients then come back to us and say, and can you do the following? So that's mm -hmm. what we're about as a business. We set up two and a half years ago, just as a lot of this stuff was kicking off. And uh, to some degree, we've caught a wave as well, I would say actually as a function of that. Yeah, yeah. So there's been a big kind of pivot from being primarily like a service provider to developing more kind of off the shelf products that, that people could, um, you know, uh, on that like kind of SaaS model. Yeah, absolutely. But just to be clear, I don't want to paint a picture which isn't correct. That is toward the later stages of our business deployment. Our first part of our business deployment was doing outstanding delivery for, for clients, increased engagement through augmented reality. And um, what we actually found through you know, it's an ill wind that blows no good. Uh, and in the case of COVID, what it did do was provide some wind in our sails with regard to non-hard contact interaction of people's offer to their potential audience. And that had to occur, whether that's in terms of retail offer, whether that's in terms of entertainment, whether that's in terms of some of the conversations we're having of non-retail services, for instance, enhanced employment capacity, where we do uh, work for some of our clients on increased engagement through recruitment. Uh, this can all be deployed now through augmented reality. And actually, and I'd be interested to hear because I don't know so much about Andrew's business model, part of the reason we're doing this internally, part of our drive, but also part of the market response is a significantly reduced carbon footprint. Uh, you don't have to be uh, uh, physically moving everything around to experience whatever the offer might be. The offer can come to you. And we've found that that's provided a level of traction, both with our client base, but also with the audience of our client base. Mm -hmm. Well, it does bring us quite nicely on to Kindwell Energy, Andrew, doesn't it? I mean, these uh, challenges around net zero and sustainability, something that, that you guys are, are really... Um, invested in. So do you want to just talk a little bit about your business and, you know, how things have been and, and, and why you set it up? Absolutely. So we're, we're Kinniewell Energy and um, 
The company develops and commercialises scalable technologies that add significant value to social and environmental problems. Um, so clearly from that, we're, we're very interested in net zero and our main um, product is, is our clock software that optimises the cable layouts of offshore wind farms. So we're playing dot to dot uh, to link all the turbines up with cable uh, in the most economical way we possibly can. Uh, and we typically find added values in the region of 20% of the cable system capex over the lifetime of the project. And the cable system is around 11% of the offshore wind farm um, cost. So, so we're, we're roughly adding value of around 2% to offshore wind. So it's quite significant. Um, <clears throat> we, we started off very much as a consultancy based on our... Um, our own capability we built built in-house and, and we found that a lot of clients were wanting um, licensable solutions so they can use it in-house and we, we find that some of the industry still wants consultancy some of it wants um, to, to use it in-house but that's very much the direction we're going in and, and see ourselves as the technology developers that provide the tools to incumbent consultants um, and incumbent players within the industry. Um, and that comes from, from a number of different reasons. Um, in part, it's because licensable revenues come up front when consultancy comes behind. So it's a very, very fast growing company that really helps with cash flow. Um, and also it allows our team to spend their time innovating and developing new products and services rather than delivering the specific questions our clients have got for that moment in time with the consultancy uh, and allows us to be much more forward thinking and innovative in our approach. Yeah, so th there's again quite an emphasis on, on, on sort of products, I think, which is, which is quite interesting that, that both of you guys have that in common. So just to, just to, be, just to be clear, Andrew, um, really you're looking to sort of make the um, current solutions that we've got in terms of energy around um, so, uh, wind farms and, and various other um, solutions more efficient. That's, that's the goal of the business, right? Absolutely. Drive, drive down the cost of um, clean energy because the, the lower the cost it is, um, the more we can accelerate the rollout of the technology and the faster we can get to net zero. Um, and, and again, strategically, um, the company really tries to focus on um, where there's not really direct competition. So if, if there's others doing stuff, but we can significantly improve on the, sta on the status quo, then we will get involved. But really, we're trying to do things um, that others aren't doing. And that's in part because it is a climate emergency and we haven't got the time or the resources worldwide for multiple companies to be focusing on the same problems. We all need to be working on different things to innovate together collaboratively to, to accelerate that transition to net zero. Yeah, I mean, they talk all the time, don't they, about there's no single solution that's going to tackle this this crisis. It's a it's an energy mix of, of, of different technologies and applications. So that's that's really great to hear. Um, obviously, both of you guys, uh, both of your companies have been selected to be included in the Innovation Showcase, VentureFest's Innovation Showcase. So, Gordon, coming to you first, how does that feel to be to be included and to be celebrated by, by Graham and, and the team? Oh, it's, it's first class as far as we're concerned. We are relatively a, a startup by any reasonable understanding. We're only two and a half years young. We do think we've rap uh, gone through some rapid cycling in terms of our business evolution as it happens, in terms of the size and where we find ourselves. 
But regardless, within a two-year period to find ourselves being invited to such an event is first class. Also, <clears throat> it's great to be rubbing shoulders with like-minded people. It's also great to be sharing stories, sharing pain, sharing solutions with like-minded people. It's invariably most, you know, great ideas invariably are recycled anyway. So when we go to such events, and we're already looking forward to that, we're sending a team through, it's not just on the basis of us generating some useful oxygen for ourselves, but actually borrowing oxygen from other people in terms of what they've been doing and when we learn from them. Yeah, that kind of peer-to-peer learning is really important. Yeah, and indeed, uh, uh, did part of our uh, um, business approach with clients, this sounds uh, as if you've teamed te- te- up and I'll knock them down. Uh, when we work with our clients, uh, if I can use as a synonym of peer-to-peer, uh, the nature of client collaboration. We always start on the basis that actually if we share our approach to work with our clients, the clients get increased value as well as hopefully ourselves getting a deeper relationship with them. In other words, instead of a client coming to us and saying, can you deliver the following, whatever the following might be, we'll say yes and let's have a look at the problem in, in the round, let's have a look at the mix in there. And we always start with a collaborative approach to the client and when they invest in the problem, if you like, time and money, there's always a better solution. And the analog uh, is the equivalent of us going to VentureFest, where we're investing our time, other people are investing their time, and where we can share ideas and share pain, share solutions. We'll all win. We'll all win. And actually, you know, it, innovation can often be using an old idea in a new fashion. Innovation doesn't have to mean that it's been the light switch has just been put on and it's a a brand new thought. Often it's the application of some previous ideas, but in new and inspiring areas. Mm, really interesting. And Andrew, sort of same question to you about being included in the in the showcase and um, in terms of being involved in, in in this as well. Is it a similar uh, type type thing? How do you feel about it? It's really fantastic. I mean. Innovation runs through our veins as a company and, and everyone's on board with it and, and trying to do things differently and, and drive the world forward. Uh, and to be recognised for that is, is just incredible and really motivates the team team as we go forward. Um, and, and I've got to say that the, the funding that is available within the region to support innovation um, really drives it forward as, as well. Um, there are often smaller pots that are, are region-based um, that are really important for helping um test ideas that de-risks them so that you can go to the much larger funding pots and, and bring in that investment that, that ultimately delivers these ideas to commercialisation. Yeah, so that's it's, it is a really good funded mix. And we'll come on to talking about funding and investment opportunities in the region. Um, but we have mentioned COVID briefly already. Um, Gordon, obviously you guys were just getting started when, yeah. when, when that all kicked off. So do you want to just talk us through... Um, what that's been like, how you've had to adapt, um, how you've had to think differently because of the pandemic and, and uh, take us through your journey over the last couple of years. Absolutely. I mean, our, 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 our timing of, of launching the business was entirely coincident with the COVID rollout. Um, and uh, as I'd said previously, um, you know, most, any anywhere where there's a, a change in any given system, there's always energy. There's always energy liberated and it's what you do with it we felt we were able to use the energy liberated through COVID actually and put it to use and harness it within our business. So I'm speaking in tongues there when I say that. So what do I mean practically? Our original business model was uh, pretty much uh, 
take a new technology and applying it in an orthodox fashion. It was to create highly animated business cards, business cards which come to life. And we did a really bright job of that, actually, um, as a, a founding team. There was the five of us to begin with. And we, we were absolutely delighted. And this really was at the same time that COVID uh, sprung itself upon everybody. And the downside about our business cards is that the business cards model is absolutely premised upon hard contact relationships, giving a business card to somebody. But here's the thing, when we climbed to the top of that small hill and we felt, you know, small celebration due, beers all around kind of thing. When we got to the top of that hill, we realized that right in front of us was a huge mountain. And the mountain was the deployment of exceptional technology services within what we would call the fourth dimension. Now you would understand as metaspace or the metaverse. And we said to ourselves, well, what do we want to do? Do we want to sit on the hill or do we want to climb the mountain? And we're still climbing the mountain, but that's what we chose to do. So we went back to the mothership. We had a look at what we could do. And we said, well, actually, within the COVID uh, environment of how we find ourselves, can we look at our business mix and provide innovative solutions for clients who hitherto wouldn't have actually seen a demand for this? And so we, we looked at innovation. We saw COVID as a driver, as a driver for change. And we, um, if I was to... Uh, condense our change model it was in four dimensions one was in people how do we innovate with people in other words how do we use our time uh, second one was technology how do we actually deploy this technology skill base which we had how can we deploy that always reminded of uh, Henry Ford when asked never ask uh, your current client base about what they want you know he said you know if you asked for uh, somebody prior to a car what do you want you'd just say faster horses uh, they wouldn't have thought of the car. Same with the mobile phone. Nobody once said, can you put that red phone box on wheels? So the second dimension was to say, this technology cannot be applied elsewhere in new spaces. Um, the third part of our change innovation program through COVID was how we work with clients. And I've already mentioned that we said that we can't, we can't have hard contact. So what do we need to do? We need to look at how we can collaborate keep mentioning the C word, everybody's mentioned that, but that was very real for us. How do you collaborate with a client when you can't physically interact? And that actually allowed a level of intimacy of knowledge and understanding, which I would reckon you wouldn't have got if you were just meeting somebody once a month for a session. And then the fourth, and the fourth probably is the glue which binds our business together, was taking an innovative approach to culture. How, in the case of where we are now, we've got 22 staff members, 12 in uh, uh, the USS Enterprise in uh, Newcastle, where we have our, uh, all of our guys working, and we've got seven in uh, New York in our US company, and then we've got two or three dotted around Vancouver and so on. How can you resist the temptation to be seen as a team of third-party freelancers and create a culture which is coherent and you can knit something around and we went out of our way to do something innovative there in terms of how we used our own technology, virtual technology, to create a cultural program for our staff. And I would say, whilst it might not be as, I wouldn't suggest for a moment that all of our staff members would put their hand up and answer the same answer to the same question. We have, I think, created a sense of understanding of who we want to be, how we want to behave, how we want to interact with our client base. And I would see that as being innovative through the COVID driver. And so they were the four things which we felt 
COVID allowed us, if you like, gave us permission to do differently, where actually we probably wouldn't have looked at those in anything like the same level of intensity if it hadn't been for COVID. So again, it comes back to it's an ill wind. Yeah, I, I think that that idea of trying to maintain the DNA of a business um, at, at any time is oh. difficult when when you when you're trying to grow. But I think you know you throw in COVID, you yeah. throw in the fact that you're operating internationally with yeah. with, with two different bases. Um, but Andrew, is 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 that a challenge that you've had? Because you mentioned that you guys were growing quite quite fast uh, in terms of yeah maintaining that sort of culture in the in the workplace. Um, when you're working remotely or if you're working in different disciplines, is that a difficult challenge for you? Yeah, it's, in, it's incredibly difficult. Um, but the, the business has, has grown phenomenally over, over COVID. So um, we, a couple of impacts um, is, is previously, well, we've always been a bedroom business to an extent. Um, so we, we've been working without an office and we've grown entirely organically where our, our growth trajectory, we're now starting to see it and trust it, is, is doubling every single year in revenue and people. But, but we started at such low numbers that you couldn't see that trajectory. And it just so happens that um, COVID uh, disrupted things in a way that um, meant that we were then able to take on the people we were working with as, as freelancers in, into being employed. Um, and and the, one of the benefits that we've certainly noticed is because we were a, a, a bedroom business, um, when we were meeting with clients or clients were wanting to meet with us, we were abnormal previously in terms of wanting to use Teams, wanting to meet at their offices rather than inviting them to ours. And, and now the world has gone to this shift of working through Teams and Zoom and, and all these platforms all the time. We're no longer abnormal. Um, and, and we're the same as all these big companies that, that what people would expect of a company to be doing. Uh, and that's changed the the way in which the discussion is happening with clients and, and the respect that we're we're certainly seeing. Um, and in terms of the growth of of people, um, we've now reached a team of eight. At the start of the pandemic, um, we had um, just myself that was so called employed by the company. Everything everyone else was was a freelancer, and we've now got eight people. And everyone other than myself within the team had their previous employment disrupted by the the pandemic in in some way um and, and another kind of impact of of the pandemic which we've certainly taken advantage of um is the funding elements again so there was a number of local funding interventions to support companies move online um, which helped with our business development um, aspects uh, particularly but also things like the availability of loans that allow you to manage cash flow as you build to larger projects with greater working capital needs. But also with working with new technology where no one in the world has really worked with it before. So if we're providing consultancy based on our technology, we need to bring on people and train them to use our technology. And no one exists with those skills. So the likes of Kickstart funding has allowed us to take on recent graduates um, with the headroom of funding, allowing us six months to train them up in, in how to deliver products and services using, using our capabilities. Uh, and that allows us to create the capacity to take on more work and, and grow incredibly fast. Yeah, so some of those um, kind of 
I guess, emergency schemes that came in uh, a couple of years back are, are still paying dividends now, which is which is fantastic to hear, isn't it? And I did want to come on to sort of funding and investment next, because if we rewind back to um, the heady days of sort of April and May 2020, when the stock market was nosediving pretty, pretty sharply, you know, I think for innovative companies, the, the cash intensity of what you're doing is, is very, very high. And there was a concern at that time in 2020 that some of those um, investment opportunities were going were gonna to dry up, and I think did dry up. But then what happened was that there was sort of an explosion of, 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 of uh, sort of investment going into to early stage companies. So just to gauge um, both, both of your guys' experience, Gordon and Andrew, Andrew, I, I guess I'll come to you first because you mentioned funding. You know, have you, um, has it been uh, more difficult to, to access uh, investment? Have, have, have you had conversations with investors um, or have you been, you know, predominantly going down the, the sort of uh, debt financing and, and, and the, the various different uh, public sort of support that's available? Yeah, we, we've um, retained entirely ownership with the company and, and not taken equity investment. Uh, and we've grown it organically through a combination of debt uh, and innovation funding and sales. Um, and what we we see is is that the the debt funding that became available as an emergency measure really helped open up some of the innovation funding opportunities because they often have co-investment requirements um, and and really allowed us to leverage up the opportunity uh, and we are working in in very much a, a sweet spot I would say of innovation within the northeast um, because the northeast has a strategic um, objective, particularly within North of Tyne and, and um, the North East Lep and others, um, to support businesses that are working towards net zero, which we are, and working towards supporting companies that are working on digital technologies uh, and digitalization, which we are. And of course, then there's the, the likes of the Innovation Super Network, the Northeast BIC, RTC North and others with smaller pots available that allow you to to de-risk certain projects um, to enable you to to apply with confidence um, to the much larger organisations, uh, and those are done through the idea of of um, innovating for economic regeneration within the northeast to create jobs in the northeast. Fantastic, fantastic. Sort of just took uh, Graham's bit there, I think, a little bit in terms That's of. That's fine. Nobody wants to hear me talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Gordon, to, to you as well, in terms of uh, funding and investment, how has that sort of journey been? Is there a cash intensity to what you guys do as well? Um, <clears throat> from the outside in, there very much is a, a cash intensity. I'll maybe loop back to the funding specifically, but as a business, we set our stall out to be cash positive and self-invest every red cent that we had. And we've been able, we've, we've flirted with, uh, for what it's worth, we've flirted with equity investment. Uh, but the issues around dilution and what that would mean for us as we go forward, given the fact that it's a legacy business for us, uh, we've resisted that. Actually, as it happens, there was a time, maybe it's about nine months ago, where it would have made sense for us when we were going through our own rapid growth uh, phase highly rapid growth in terms of what we were doing. And Andrew, you made a smile there earlier about trusting your own forecast, trusting your own plans. You know, first of all, forecasts are either uh, lucky or wrong. We know that. Uh, the purpose of a forecast is to be approximate. Being approximately right is a good thing. Being perfectly wrong doesn't help anybody. The more we've been able to take our business forward, 
the more we've improved the accuracy of our approximation. Why do I say that? It's meant that when we've planned for something, we've been fairly uh, content with the returns that the business has generated with sufficient confidence that we said to ourselves about nine months ago after thinking we needed equity investment. Actually, our projections and the confidence, I think you used the trust word earlier, Andrew, the trust in those projections said, well, actually, we're going to believe in ourselves. We won't need that equity investment. Now, that's different to two other elements, and this is where it drops into the funding specifically. One is <clears throat> taking specific money to liberate a piece of work which we wouldn't otherwise do. As a business with 22 people where we have technologists and developers, highly paid skill-based deliverance services and solutions for our clients, you end up with a classic zero-sum conundrum. If they're not working for the clients and they're doing work, if you like, on product development, we can't service the client and vice versa. If they're servicing the client, yeah. we can't build really a product. So, much. so the zero sum is something which we face on a routine basis. And going to funders to remove or at least be part of the solution to the zero sum problem is very real for us, either at a smaller level, at a micro level, or to a macro level to bringing in, for instance, looking at debt and servicing debt on an ongoing basis. Now, as it happens, again, and to be clear, what we've actually chosen to do is go after some of the smaller scale grants. We found those easier to access, less of a hill to climb, uh, less of the uh, what happened to you as a child kind of thing in terms of the questions. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you end up kind of with a kind of Leo Tolstoy war and speed, uh, peace approach to uh, funding application. And actually, that's another thing, some of the funding processes, regardless of what we say about this in the Northeast, their time scales are glacial. They're working, you know, we wanted something as a working example, no names, no pack drill. We were looking at doing something in January, in October past. And when we'd gone to see a couple of the funders, they said, oh yeah, sounds really good. I think we'll be able to have something in place for June. We said, yeah, you've mixed up the J's. We said January. And the opportunity would have gone. We chose to self-invest and we've taken that opportunity and that risk has paid for itself. So the time periods are too glacial in terms of some of the larger funding. The smaller funding pieces have been excellent, and we found those uh, very useful for both uh, capital in particular. It costs us, and it's eye-watering how much it costs for us to invest in our own staff. Every time we employ somebody, we're looking at the thick end of £10,000 per employee. That's what we have to put on the table to make that person productive in terms of kit. And things such as the North of Tyne grant scheme was absolutely first class for that. At a drop-down level again, the piece of work which I've been doing with Graham upon, and Graham, I'm sure you will talk in due course. <laughs> probably, probably. Graham gave us a really strong steer on a, a grant for a particular product development where we wanted to use a third party to do some sprint work, remove the zero-sum problem, and that's been very successful. That's allowed us to get to a first phase launch. And we're going to see what happens as what comes from that. But the other thing, which I don't know if it was covered within, uh, or if it was intended through the through the question, the other thing has been our relationship with universities and funding from universities. Funding both in terms of their time investment, what we do, we have strategic relationships with a small s, I might add, uh, all with NDAs, with all of the universities in the Northeast. Um, and we've been delighted at the level of support as I say, both time investment, uh, a little bit of uh, confidence building as well, but also uh, the Yankee dollar. Uh, we've had two experiences with both Newcastle and Northumbria where they've come to us and said, look, 
we run this Kraken apprentice scheme. Uh, if you take on some grad, you get this level of support. It just so happens that every member of our team is ex of the local universities. We've gone out of our way to make sure that we're recruiting locally. And when they came to us, it's not something we thought about. And the uh, money was all useful. It's not going to change anybody's world, but it absolutely adds to the mix. And small amounts like that become uh, very useful to us as we go forward. So even to that level of support, the finance available uh, and the support we got from the universities was, was first class as well. But we, we've so far, we've resisted, like Andrew, we've resisted. Resisted is the strongest sense of it's a fight. We've not needed, maybe, we've not needed to go down the equity route. And we have looked for, if we do a very large capital project, we probably will use debt to finance that and service it through cash flow. That's really interesting, yeah, because you, you do imagine there being um, a conversation with equity investors pr pretty early on when, when you were in the business like you guys are. But I guess if you've got the, sort of the courage of your convictions, then those concerns about dilution um, and investment coming in perhaps too early um, is, is a big one. So yeah, absolute credit to both of you really for, for, for resisting that. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure you'd be more well off than you are currently had you, had you not done so. But, um, yeah, Andrew, if you want to come in. On yeah, I just add, yeah. add to that, um, particularly for those that are listening that are, um, new to setting up a business and, and things. Certainly, um, I've had questions from clients in the past asking who has invested in us. And what they're asking behind that is, um, what are the conflicts of interest behind you? Are you independent or, or are you going to be told to tell us something to help your paymasters? Yeah. So it's, it's worth thinking about if you're taking equity investment, not just the money and what people can bring to help you, but also what um, message it sends to your target clients. I think particularly when you're operating in the space, you are sort of sustainability and, and, and ESG and all of those things where there is increased scrutiny on, on where the money's coming from, right? Now, a really important point. Yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> just to build on what Andrew said there, if I, if I might, uh, Richard, is that there were two things which I think I heard in there. One is uh, uh, the autonomy of running your own organisation and maintaining that. And that's not to say that an equity investor... It's not going to sit on your shoulder as such, but we, we've heard, like everybody else, we've heard tales about how that might operate. But we do want that full autonomy, that sense of independence about our vector, the business direction we go in. And the other thing is that um, it's difficult to undilute. Uh, and, you know, it's difficult to unfry an egg. And we are aware that once we've started diluting, we know that the call for second investment is more likely to happen than it would have done previously and so on. And the corollary of that is that if we're going to dilute, we're going to dilute internally. I, I kind of sort of watch it. I don't know when this will be in broadcast, but in the next two weeks, we will be announcing an EMI scheme, a share scheme for our employers, for every member of staff who's in the business. And I'd rather dilute internally and gain motivation and momentum. It's a small metaphor of that cultural change program we mentioned earlier. And saying, actually, why don't we look at our staff as part of our whole uh, program of change and program of motivation? So we're looking at an EMI scheme for uh, share dilution, share transfer, share. I don't know what the, the legal expression. Yeah, somebody will help us out. Um, but we'd rather dilute internally, if you if you can imagine such a, a concept, than necessarily externally. So. 
Uh, absolutely. So that you know, they're they're wearing the shirt as well. Absolutely. Fantastic. And and Graham, I'm I'm going to come back to you now because I want to talk specifically about the the northeast. Um, and I think we'll touch on a lot of the things that we've already touched on in terms of the funding mix and the collaboration with the universities, which we know is 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 absolutely critical in this space. So yeah, Graham, you know what makes the northeast a a, a brilliant place to start an innovative company. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start with the people. I'm going to start with the networks. Um, it's, you'll, you'll find anybody, I'm saying anybody, most people who have worked out of region then come back to region will say there's nothing quite like the Northeast in terms of the community and the networks. Um, I don't think we should sell 100% on that. Um, that is important and you know, we are known for that community spirit, that getting together, that collaboration piece that we've mentioned on numerous occasions. But we're more than that, aren't we? Let's be honest that you know, I think everybody in the room um, speaks to clever, innovative people on a regular basis. Um, it's the passion, the desire, the intelligence. Um, the community then supports that next element by you've got the idea, you speak to an Andrew or a Gordon and that takes you to the next step because it's that peer piece I was talking about earlier on. Gordon will say, go and meet X person from yeah. RTC or um, have you tried this university? They're specialists within that. And you won't get that in other regions because people are siloed in some respects in other regions. They know the piece or the people that they've worked with. Whereas because we're kind of quite small, we do know each other and we do network with each other and we do get to understand the bigger and wider offer. So, yeah, I think that's... Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, you can't really underestimate the, 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 the people factor. And would you say that costs may be another factor as well? Obviously, in this region, it may be cheaper to start a business, particularly with um, some of the, the sort of technical skills that, that, you, that you require in, in both of your guys' businesses. Um, and obviously, this premises costs are... Certainly, if we're thinking about London and the southeast, where a, a lot of innovation also happens, is, is that another... I don't know who wants to come in on that. Um. Yeah, it's definitely something. We have lower labour costs because um, those people have lower living costs, uh, and that, that's definitely an advantage. Um, it's also worth thinking about the people that you want to collaborate with as well. I mean, for us, we have a lot of clients in London, um, so there is an element of if we're not based in London, we've got the cost and time of travel to London. Um, but that's not a reason to to say you've got to be in London. And particularly with the the um, pandemic and the rise of of Zoom and Teams, that is becoming less and less of an issue. Um, and and as a company, we've been born global, and 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 um, we are working all over the world. Um, we've got clients in in Japan, in 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 um, the US. And, and South Korea and, and all of those came to us during the pandemic when no one could travel. Yeah, it, ha it has opened up the, the, the labour market, I think, if you're willing to adopt that fully kind of flexible hybrid approach. I mean, obviously, Gordon, you, you guys, has it always been the case that you've operated in, in the US as well? Yes, well, we, we, the business was founded with uh, one of the uh, one of our five founders, it was myself and four others. Aiden um, is based out of Philly. Uh, he technically is out of New York State, but his girlfriend lives in Philadelphia, so he's peripatetic. Um, so to, to, to this question of, of, of the region and, and, and the celebration of the region and, and our, 
intensity of knowing each other, but also maybe it's a cost base, which we touched upon there. I think that it's a, it's a double-edged sword, and that's something which I think we have to face as a region. I was at a Kraken uh, session yesterday. Not that this isn't Kraken. This is an equally Kraken session. Fantastic. Uh, uh, <laughs> the DIT uh, had the Deputy High Commissioner across from uh, Hyderabad, from India, looking at export and import relationships. And, of course, one of the things which they face is that, yeah, it's, 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 it's 10% in the pound or 10 pence in the pound to deliver work out in India, so why don't you just take all your technology and take it out there? Of course, that's an argument. Of course, there's always a lowest common denominator. And we might argue that as India is to the UK, the northeast is as to London, that we see this differential. But I nearly said something there. I nearly said a, a South Tyne word. Uh, uh, the, it's a slightly arm about leg problem because uh, it's, it's, it's the value. We, we, can't resist, we can't rest on the value proposition of saying we're the cheapest. It's the worst thing in the world. And if that's all we can say about ourselves as a region, we've, we've managed to shoot ourselves in the foot. I do think, though, as soon as I said that, there's inherent tension because we need to employ people. We pay a really fair wage uh, and we want to pay as best as we can. But we don't pay London wages. And in fact, we don't we go out of our way not to recruit in that space. And there, there is an inherent tension in there. But we have to resist this kind of pat understanding that come to the northeast because, you know, we're dirt cheap and we cost nothing. That's just a terrible value is proposition. Yeah, quite so. And we've just talked about innovation as being the epicenter of the, of the reason why we were sat around the table here today. And innovation can't be premised upon uh, it costs nothing, um, I'm, I'm afraid. That's just no way to go forward. Now, but there is a tension in there. We do want to be value for money. We want to be best in class. And part of that mix, if you know, classic uh, four Ps, part of that mix is going to be price and part of the price is going to be cost. But what does cost allow you to think about? It allows you to think about innovation. It allows you to think about efficiency. It allows you to think about collaboration. It allows you to think about legacy products, make it once, sell it twice, and so on and so forth. So we, we can address the cost base through other uh, modes, if you like, and I think that's what we should be doing. Um, but the we can't get away from the fact that we do have a different cost structure in the northeast, and it's trying to find a way to tease that out, which is useful for us, but not demeaning for us. Of course, of course, and um, in terms of it, I'll come I'll, I'll come to you in a second, Andrew, and, and perhaps you can you can pick up on this point. Um, the universities, I think, in terms of another, that's where you were going, fantastic. The universities are, are a huge benefit. We have some of the world's best universities in, in this region. And, and how much have you guys leveraged that, Andrew? Do you want to? Well, um, we, we have some, it's very sector specific, but, but Northeast um, is a real hotbed for um, facilities and demonstration assets in the Northeast, particularly for the net zero transition and, and energy from, from the smart grid labs at, at Newcastle and Durham universities, the, the hydrogen work that, that they're doing, uh, the integral test bed, that, that's a collaboration between the universities and industry and, and then the energy networks and, and the offshore renewable catapult as well with, with their fantastic assets up, up at Blythe. It's a, it's a real hotbed for demonstration, which, which is incredible. Um, coming back to, to the specific um, 
collaborations we've done with with the universities. There's some really good schemes out there that can support young businesses. So um, Newcastle University, for example, have their Arrow program um, that supports um, with with academic time. But also uh, they have a fantastic career service where you can um, get a student working for you as an intern over the summer. Um, where the university puts money towards the student's time uh, and paying the student. So it's a massively subsidised for, for the company. Uh, Northumbria University has a, um, a brilliant scheme called Advanced Practice, where they have um, students that work on a problem set by a company, almost like a, a consultancy um, type scheme um, from the company's perspective. So there's, there's some really fantastic opportunities to work with, with the universities. Brilliant, brilliant. And, and, and Graeme, are those relationships with the universities something that the, the Innovation Super Network's keen to sort of foster as well? Yeah, um, I hope Andrew don't mind me saying, but I think I put you in touch with Northumbria for that advanced practice. You did, um, you did. Thank you. And, and I think I put you in touch with Arrow for, for, for that. Absolutely. Well. It's a perfect, it's a yeah. perfect cycle. So, so thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I should mention the other, there are the other universities in, in Sunderland, Durham, etc., yeah. who will equally have, you know, great off, offers as well. But yeah, I think that is, is my job, well, not just my job, the likes of the guys at RTC, the Northeast Big, the Growth Hub, all of these other um, support agencies. It's our job to know about that, and it's our job to to think when Arrow Program tells me about a new project. Ah, that's perfect for Andrew because he's working on data, and an academic would help him support him with that next data project. It's when Gordon says to me, "I'm looking to do something with this piece of technology." Ah, okay. Well, Sunderland, I know, are working yeah. with that. Let me make that introduction. So. I have to be a kind of font of knowledge in all of that where possible and, and, and remember what these guys do. So it's a two-way yeah. thing. They've got to tell me what they're doing. I've got to know what the universities are doing and then forge the two, put them together. Mm. It's, a, it's a key part of, of your work, right? Sort of uh, signposting companies to these opportunities. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and like I say, the more we understand about the SMEs that we're working with, the easier it is for us to make those connections and, and, and to make those referrals. But yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And uh, before we sort of round up and, and come back to VentureFest, I just want to ask um, in terms of advice uh, and, and, and Gordon and Andrew, you, you can come in on this advice for somebody who's maybe starting out maybe two, two and a half years ago, Gordon, back where you were, Andrew, um, you know, back when you were starting uh, your business, you know, what advice would you give to someone who has an innovative idea? Um, you know, perhaps they've perhaps they've started businesses before, perhaps they haven't, perhaps this is a new thing that they're looking at. Um, Gordon, have you got any sort of advice that you would give to somebody? It's a little bit of a favourite colour question, isn't it? Because it'll change each day on your favourite food. Um, I, I'm not sure if I could boil it down. I'll be totally candid. What, what I would say is, I forget which the sports coach was, but... Uh, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And I would say that within business, at some stage, you've got to break for cover. You've got to say to yourself, we're going to do this. And actually, often, that that decision alone, that call to arms to yourself to make something happen is the greatest motivation. So if I was to boil it down, it would be that. It would be to say to yourself, trust your instinct develop whatever that thing is in your head and make it happen yourself. If you're permanently sense-checking it with other people, there's every chance it's not going to go forward. So 100% of those shots you don't take, you're never going to get. You have to just 
commit at some level. Well, right? you do, absolutely. And I do think that's part of the mix. And, and maybe that's where the, the likes of Graham and his colleagues within the Northeast are great at supporting people, giving them that encouragement to take that first step. It is rather Confucian. You know, a 3,000-mile journey always starts with one footstep, and you've got to have that footstep somewhere. Uh, and being put off by the 3,000-mile journey is just, a, you know, you'll never get anywhere. Yeah, yeah, of course. And Andrew, as well, advice from your side. Yeah, a couple of things are very, very synergistic to, to what you just said. But um, first thing is, is shy bands getting out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you don't ask, nothing's going to happen. And, and the worst they can say is no. So, so just try it uh, and see what happens. But um, I think the best bit of advice I've ever heard, and I, I always regurgitate, is, is that you don't have to be perfect. Um, you just have to be better than everyone else. And, and if you're striving for perfect, um, before you launch, you're never going to make it to market and someone else will take up this opportunity. So it, it's, it's as much about um, working out what the next milestone you need to, to achieve is uh, to open up new opportunities and, and working towards that. And that might be, if you're going down the equity route, um, a certain um, something in, in the direction of your business that de-risks it sufficiently to get the next round of, of equity investment and, and so on. Or, or it might be, as, as we did, de-risk a project that we can get um, uh, significant investment from innovation funding or, or something else that opens up a new opportunity. And, and, and Graham, sort of for you, is, is the advice to come and speak to the Innovation Super Network? Well, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but, but I would... I would say there are other business support type agencies in the region. Um, yes, if you're innovating, I would, you know, we'd welcome it. Um, if you are just a business startup doing something different, great company coming towards it. If it's a business startup and it's not necessarily innovation, there are lots of other people that will help anyway. And my advice is to speak to a couple of them because you'll get some advice from myself but i've not been seen and done everything and got every t-shirt so speak to somebody else who you know you'll get a different view on things and and take the the best of those things mm. um, my other advice to people is the growth hub is a, is 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 a really useful tool so that's an, uh, a website through the northeast lep that tries to keep up to date with all of the funds all of the offerings all of the support offerings that are out there and you can pretty much put in what kind of business you want what you're looking for so and um, it doesn't always have to be that in-person um, side of things. It can just be find out for yourself. As well. There's a lot of digital tools available to people as well, of course. And and if people want to um, speak to to Gordon or, or, or Andrew um, or other innovative companies in the Northeast that can join us at VentureFest, right, on the uh, 30th and 31st of March. Is that right, Graham? Please do, yeah. Um, so 30th is, the is like I say, the in-person event at the Boiler House. The, the gents here um, will have an event space that they're showcasing. Um, along with another 13 other businesses who've been selected. So I guess come along and, and, and see those innovative companies, find out how they did it, talk to them. As you probably guess, Gordon likes talking. Andrew <laughs> quite likes talking. Yeah, yeah, shame. <laughs> These gents will talk to you about their business. And, and, and But, it, you know, I'm a huge advocate of that. And, and believe me, that's where we'll see success in the regions when people have those conversations. Yeah, perfect. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, guys. I, I think it's been a really instructive conversation. You know, there's um, thanks so much for, you, for your input. I think there's uh, going to be tons of value to, to draw out for people who listen to this. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks yeah. for bringing us together. Yeah, thanks it. for the free Brilliant. lunch. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Gordon.
So there you go. That was the first roundtable style podcast we've actually done at UMI since launching the series. And I certainly enjoyed the experience. Uh, it was great to be sat around a physical table and chat to people face to face. And I'm sure you'll agree that our guests did not disappoint. I think it's always important when you're talking about business to have people in the room who are running their own businesses and know from experience about the challenges and opportunities that businesses face. And so it was really interesting to hear from Gordon about the journey Aircards has been on since being set up a little over two and a half years ago, uh, how he and the team navigated the pandemic and how they continue to work together and collaborate between their offices in Newcastle and over in the US in New York as well. Uh, from Andrew's perspective at Kinneywell Energy, really encouraging to hear about the extraordinary growth the company's experienced since the start of COVID-19, both in terms of, of growing the headcount from, from one to eight over that period and in terms of the range of clients the company is working with all really positive stuff. In terms of advice, I really liked what Gordon said about the fact that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I think that's sage advice for any aspect of life, but particularly in business. And from Andrew, it was that age old adage that anyone from the Northeast knows all too well, shy bairns getting out. So don't be afraid to ask for help uh, and don't worry about everything being perfect from the start as it never will be if you set out that way. So if you liked what you heard here, you can catch up with uh, Aircards, Kinneywell Energy and the other innovation showcase companies at VentureFest on March 30th at the Boiler Shop. You can also get in touch with Graham directly if you're starting or running an innovative company and want to find out more about the funding and support available across the Northeast. Uh, so as always, thanks to Gordon, Andrew and Graham for such an informative conversation and thanks so much for listening.